This podcast is brought to you by bellacatering.com.au. Guys, the folks at Bella Catering are one of the best catering companies in the whole of Australia and especially in Sydney. But due to the coronavirus restrictions, those lovely folks led by Glenn and Maria are unfortunately struggling but we can help them and I want to help them with this show. So if you guys can and you like delicious things and you're in Australia and you're in Sydney and you're within about a 20K to 30K radius, which is pretty much the entire um, Sydney basin, if you want delicious food at a great price and you want it delivered to your house, bellacatering.com.au is where you need to go. Absolutely delicious stuff, family stuff, like, you know, huge, huge get-togethers that we're doing virtually and things like that. You want leftovers, you want that sort of thing, bam, bellacatering.com.au. Glenn is absolutely a deeply questionable individual. However, that should not be held against him. He has a lovely wife, he has a lovely family, and they've got great staff, and they are awesome. Now, on to the show. This is an excerpt from All the President's Men, written by Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward. Bernstein and Woodward wrote a story reporting that Hunt had been investigating Kennedy while employed at the White House. The importance of the story, the reporters were thinking, was that Hunt was no ordinary consultant to the White House, but a political operative. Harry Rosenfeld was enthusiastic and took the story to Benjamin C. Bradley, the Post's executive editor. Bradley came out of his glassed-in office at the far end of the newsroom and sat down in a chair near Bernstein's desk. He was holding a copy of the story in his hands and shaking his head. It was a reporter's first encounter with Bradley on a Watergate story. The Wall Street Journal once described him as looking like an international jewel thief. Bradley, 50, had been an intimate friend of President Kennedy and was sensitive to stories about the Kennedy family. Leaning back, he said now, dot, 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 Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to All the President's Minutes. I'm your host, Blake Howard. Uh, Joining me for the now 32nd episode of Alan J. Pakula's 1976 masterpiece, written by Bill Goldman in his Oscar-winning screenplay and starring two 70s titans, particularly probably one of the biggest movie stars ever, Robert Redford, and one of the greatest method actors of all time, Dustin Hoffman. It is, of course, a minute-by-minute examination of all the president's men. My guest today is the first returning guest on One Heat Minute. When oh! I, on One Heat Minute, I was going back through the roster, and because the show, the way the show existed, it was like a proof of concept when I first started recording, I had multiple guests come back and repeat stanzas to sort of see if the show worked but coming into all the president's minutes that was not required because i knew that the shows could work as long as the movies that we were talking about were awesome enough to stand up to it so my i think she was the third guest of the show um yes who 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 complained (laughs) wait till you're introduced (laughs) who complained that she essentially got nothing but a black fucking screen, I think were her exact words in the show, um, is back. She is a best-selling author. She's a prodigious journalist. She's a, an incredible writer of kind of every particular piece of writing that I've ever read of hers. Um, she has an incredible voice. And also, she's the host of maybe the most in-depth and crazily researched homage and I'm going to call it an audio shrine to Josie and the Pussycats, which I have the outstanding pleasure to produce. She's my best friend, Maria Lewis. Welcome back to All the President's Minutes. My best friend? My best friend. I am so 
chuffed to be the first returning guest. <laughs> the first. The first, because let me tell you, was real mad about the minute you had me on. <laughs> I was fucking and, I, and, and this minute is fucking more than makes up for it, just I, to be clear. It totally does. And this is the kind of shit when you were like, oh, I'm doing all the president's men. I was like, finally, a movie I don't hate. Um, <laughs> that I was like, I actually have an area of expertise. Like, I was a police reporter. I can provide witty analysis and insight and commentary. And you're like, oh, great. Here's the minute I'm going to get you to do. It's just noir for 59 <laughs> seconds. And I was mad. As Drake would say, I'm upset. But I'm not oh, upset at this. This is good. This is a great minute. I, I can't wait to do it. I'm so, like, really, it's so nice to be back. It's just like. Yeah, look, I want to thank you. I want to thank you a lot on the show because um, so many folks who know the eclectic guest base that we've had on this show um, has been really thankful to the incredible guests. And it usually happens with one, it happened with one heat minute. It's definitely happened with increment vice. It's certainly happened with Josie and the podcasts with lots of emails with the uh, du jour references uh, at the bottom. Um, and it's definitely happened here, but I want to thank you because you've been so great recommending some wonderful guests that have been on the show already and some future guests that are coming up. So thank you so much. Look, if I have former flatmates that are being monitored and traced by the AFP, I feel like <laughs> you should have them on the show. You know what I mean? No, honestly, like the journalism, uh, I don't say journalism industry. Journalism in Australia and New Zealand specifically is a very small pool, especially if you've been in it for a while. Like I've been in it for 16 years now, which is like, you know, fucking an age. Um, and you get to know everybody and people that come up with you, people that are above you, people that shift out of that industry into other types of businesses. So I have a lot of contacts and people that a very got useful. Some sources. I got some sources. Got some <coughs> unnamed sources. Protect the source. I got some deep throats uh, in my pocket, shall we say? <laughs> I can't ever take that seriously when you say it. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's just me. Oh, you could say I'm a deep throat expert <laughs> if you wanted to. <laughs> but the point is, um, this because this movie is like a trade craft movie. Yes, it's like efficiency born. I know a lot of efficient people and a lot of people who are fucking all about their trade craft. You know, they're either alcoholics or let their families disintegrate <laughs> because they love this job so much. Holla. Um, and they're perfect guests for this kind of show. So more than happy to to flick you a few names. Thank and you. more than happy to listen to those episodes. They're so fucking good. It's so Thank interesting you. getting a mix of different, like not just film critics and movie people on here as well, but People, you know, might have been locked up for a few days in an international prison. Like, that's depth, baby. That's depth. There's some depth. There's some depth. And like, uh, and new friendships even being forged as part of this show, you know, The Great Alexi Toliopoulos. Oh, I think that's your favorite episode. It so is my far. favorite episode because I was very lonely at the time and I was listening to it and I was like, it's my boys. It's me boys. Me boys. Big shout out to Alexi. And Alexi team. rocks. Alexi does rock. Alexi does rock. So we love him in season two of The Wire. <laughs> oh, man. Hashtag the Greeks. <laughs> And I'm not even Greek. <laughs> he is actually Greek, though. Um, hashtag Greaster. Um, now, hashtag Ella Brandy. Now, this oh, wait, is- can I just say one more thing? Quick? Yes, you can. Sorry, before you go please, into please, actually please. doing your job on your show. Okay. Um, that thing you said about juicing the podcasts was very nice, and I just wanted to acknowledge it before I go back and being annoyed at you for something else. But that was a very lovely thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wait, just I know that you are going to piss me off. It's inevitable. <laughs> So if we could just get a thank you out of the way. Celebrate your victories. That's a very lovely thing. And you've done such an amazing job of producing the show and going through the scripts that I sent through that have fucking a plethora of like <laughs> random links to shit on the internet Lots and finding those clips and using those time codes. So 
I'm eternally grateful. No, it's a really fun project. It's absolutely insane. And it's, um, we had such a blast. It's one of those things where we had such a blast talking to people about it. And, um, and you kind of forget just how in depth those conversations were, because a lot of the stuff that people are hearing are only a minute here, a minute there. And like every single person we've interviewed, we almost spoke to for like at least half an hour <sighs> to an hour. And so there's so much there and it's been that one of the, you know, that, that, old thing of like, you know, kill your darlings basically where you are choosing the most absolutely juicy bits that you can for each of the shows. And that's why now we'd never even envisaged that we were going to be doing bonus episodes, but like there's bonus episodes every week. So it's now not a six episode series. It's going to be absolutely be probably an 11 to 12 episode series. So it's, it's, it's massive. Yeah. And I wonder if like how that is for you, because a lot of like, I don't, I don't want to say I have a lot of podcast experience. I listen to a lot of podcasts. We did a podcast, you know, 10 years, fucking 10 years ago. And a live podcast 10 years ago. Oh yeah. Like we've done podcasts together Mm. and things like that. But, um, so you're like the podcast expert though. I would consider you the podcast expert because you did, you know, a thousand and eighty minutes. I'm like, (laughs) for people who have no dads and love crime, here's heat. Um, and my area of expertise is more like stuff that has women in it. And, um, you know, it's like, pink and pop and whatever, but also the journalism side of things. And it's been a really interesting sort of process to merge the two of them together, like transcribing interviews and then something that you get from one interview with Rachel Lee Cook being a question that you can bring up later with Kay Hanley and then finding the sides of the story that aren't so great as well because that's, that's you know, we're not paid to do this. We're not Universal's not joking us off. We're trying <laughs> to actually show a balanced um, a balanced version of Josie and the Pussycats, the 2001 film. I've been excited about, and it's much the same reason that I'm excited about doing this show, is, um, but in a slightly different lens, is the history of comic books and things like that has been the most riveting thing for me. We've had great conversations with people like Tim Hanley as an example. Oh, Tim Hanley. Tim Hanley. What a fucking mind. Like a well, a well of wisdom and sort of chronology of all of those, um, even some of the internal politics of different comic book companies, which is just absolutely fascinating for me as like just an avid reader of comic books for many years um, and and not necessarily Archie's, but just his knowledge is really riveting. Um, And on the opposite end, it is, it's kind of like when, and I, and I would feel like it with musicians, it's like musicians and comedians, when you get to speak to really funny people or really talentedly musical people, they just have this like cadence in the way they speak and the way they talk. And there's this kind of no bullshit that was actually a real thrill to talk to a lot of the musos we mm. talked to on the show. Cause it's like, I know film people inside and out and I feel like I know a lot of journos inside and out and we've got a lot of interaction with those folks, but speaking to some of the musos and, and particularly going back and the Kay Hanley stuff and, and just and Charlie bliss, baby. Charlie, you got to go Charlie see bliss, them in concert. Like Charlie bliss was so wonderful, but like that, you know, they were absolutely amazing. But when we even told them, we spoke to Kay Hanley, like, and then we told people that we spoke to Kay Hanley, people were like, ah, but it's also like to to link it up to link jokes in the pussycats to all the president's men for a minute um thank you very much they're both amazing um but it is one of those things that you see in all the president's men and you see in a lot of well i think i don't want to say a lot of journalism movies the good journalism movies but how one door leads to another door leads to another door like 
we'll be on a specific track trying to talk about, okay, the production of the film. So the key people you have to speak to, the writers, directors, producers, the stars would be fucking great if you can get them. Yeah. But then, you know, you f- oh, okay, the singing voice of this person. Oh, but there was originally a singing voice for that person. And oh, this thing has a link to the civil rights movement here. And can we link it? And you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> like you end up down the fucking pussycat hole. And you're like, what? how did I get here? And that's like, that's a very specific um, thing that I think a lot of journalists and a lot of reporters can really relate to. And it's fun getting to do it with this much rope. You know, like usually if I'm writing an article, uh, like a, a feature article, because that's mainly what I write. I don't write sort of shorter pieces anymore and haven't for like the past decade. But the longest piece I think I've ever had as an article that's been published was um, on the 10th anniversary of Lexi Alexander's Punisher Warzone. And even then that was like five, maybe five or 6,000 words. And yes. for me, that doesn't, that's not very like, it's long, but it's not like a fucking... 140,000 word book, which is like, that's, that's, that's you know. That's a different muscle you're flexing. That's a different muscle. But uh, most of my features are generally like a thousand, 1500 words. And I find that hard because I'm like, oh, there's so much more to say. And with a podcast, you can say it, which is wonderful. It is wonderful. If I can pronounce it right, it's wonderful. (laughs) I was just going to say like, that is exactly the kind of, and you know, the, it's this story. It's um, and in an upcoming episode, folks are going to listen to. I spoke to a really great, you know, culture journalist, Monica Castillo, who writes for RogerEbert.com. She's written for Washington Post, she's written for New York Times, and she talked about luxuriating in telling of a story. So that that when she looks at this, when she looks at this film, she thinks to herself, like, man, to have the time to go into the Library of Congress and search through five thousand oh, record man. cards. And then come back and go, that was a dead end. And that's a whole day's worth of work. Like, or, or even like half a day. She's like, that 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 time to do that is just non-existent unless there is, you know, there's some very rarefied air. Um, right now you get uh, Jodie Cantor, Megan uh, Twelve. I hope I've pronounced that right, for She Said, who did, uh, um, uh, who broke the Harvey Weinstein stories um, for the New York Times. Then you get Ronan Farrow, who broke it for, um, I believe it's the New Yorker. So, you know, both, you know, all of them share the Pulitzer, but there are very few people operating in the world of journalism now that have the time to luxuriate. And what's funny is that we are obviously not breaking a story that is that big, but I think it's been a really equally fun story. It's actually taught me a lot about, um, wanting to continue this pursuit with this great movie, but it's also taught me ways that you can approach um, things in shorter forms and be just as detailed. It's just about rigorously preparing abusing self-abuse uh, <laughs> to to get to the level of quality that you demand. And, um, you know, it's, I think, I think it's really cool. Like all of that is so unconsciously everything right now feel, it feels so weird how so many things are echoing into other things mm. that I'm doing. Everything's cross pollinating in my mind around, well, I'm learning this from this and this obsession from this. And it all is just sort of feels like strangely it's all in the same wheelhouse. yeah i love it when that happens it's like uh like the metaphor is if you're painting and then the colors start bleeding into each other on your like little hand palette thing and you're like oh my god i got a wacky new color <laughs> but i was um chatting to a, a guy for a job um, for a writer's room that i'm about to go into to work on for a, a television series and he was talking about um like he's like oh do you know much about latvian mythology and i was like you know what 
Does it sound really weird uh, considering that I like come from New Zealand slash Australia? But I know a little bit because I got sent these through these stats accidentally by my publisher <laughs> that I wasn't meant to have these stats because they hate it if they know your if you know your stats right because then you can either negotiate for better deals or just you know not be treated like a mushroom in the dark and fed shit. And I had this like readership of about four. It was like between four to fifty people out of Latvia um, for my books, and I was like, what the fuck, Latvia? Latvia. That's great. Like crazy. Like when. Pull one out for my Latvian homies. Like <laughs> I was really like quell surprise. Um, and so because I had seen those figures, I was like, well, fuck it. I'm going to do Learn something for my Latvian bros and hoes. Latvian so, world tour. Look, I wrote a scene into The Witch You Called a Death, which um, is, is set in Latvia. The main character goes to Latvia and um, has an interaction with a group of shape-shifting lynxes. Latvia's national animal, holla, um, that run a bingo hall in knitwear. And um, and so it was just this weird thing. I was like, yeah, you know what? Actually, I do know a little bit about Latvian stuff because it's going to sound really weird, but I like wrote this scene into it. It was just, it was one of those weird moments where it's like all this seemingly dumb research that you've done for one thing that is just like a scene in a book is now like, oh, cool, that can bleed into this project and that other project can bleed into this project. And even Josie on the podcast, the so scripts we use are the same scripts that I used for documentaries, like for stuff on the feed on SBS, like yeah. a live nightly news show. And it's they're the, the same, same template. The same scripts for the upcoming Zodiac Chronicle. Yeah, baby. <laughs> yeah, baby. Hashtag you're welcome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, use that format. It's a good format. Yeah, it nice. Everything's like nicely spaced. I really enjoy it. <laughs> I really appreciate that. <laughs> Everything's that's none of the actual rigorous formatting research structure. I really like the spaces. It's <laughs> the, the one thing. I just like order. I just like things that are tidy. Unlike my personal life. Oh, bless. Uh, this scene. Yes. The 30 oh, second minute. I love it. Of all the president's men. A legit one of my favorite scenes. One of my favorite scenes. And we've, I think we've mentioned on Josie and the Pussycat several times and maybe other times that we've had conversations about the concept of big dick energy and the BDE of Jason Robards as Ben Bradley in this scene coming out with those gorgeous loafers, a really, you know, uh, really well-fitting suits. You know, strangely, we also just recently together watched The Last Dance uh, which is the Michael Jordan and uh, Chicago Bulls 1998 was like, uh, run. Was that the Elliot Gold movie? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's a long goodbye. You also watched that with me. No. I was like, it's got three words in it. It starts with the... <laughs> no, the, the last dance, though, what we yeah. observed was in the 90s that there is never a, a oh, suit that fits any human being. Every suit is like designed for a ruler and built like a Dorito. <laughs> like, no, nothing fits. Triangles going into square holes. It's fucking horrendous. The fabrics are horrible. Everything's eight sizes too big. Some of the fittest men in the world literally look like children playing dress up. <laughs> so we get this beautiful scene with Jason Robards swaggering Honestly, out. Honestly, what I wouldn't give to be Ben Bradley's loafer. Oh, my <laughs> oh God. <laughs> this isolation. Everyone is just a mess right now. Um, what I would say though, I I love um, I get I get off uh, with <laughs> yeah everyone's a mess. <laughs> Talk about getting off more. Like, yeah, I'm get, a mess. I really adore when I'm watching cinematographers and and blocking in scenes where there there just sort of happens to be shapes in the way things are moving. So in the very opening of this sequence, you're seeing in the foreground you've got Dustin Hoffman, you know, plugging away on a typewriter. You've then got you know the the angle of um, Robert Redford's Woodward leaning forward over him, and then you've also got um, the incredible. Um, 
uh, of course, the um, in incredible the incredible Jack Warden as Harry Rosenfeld, who's there. And there's this weird sort of triangular structure that these three guys are sort of merging together. They're a powerful shape. There's a unity in what they're talking about. There's an admiration that's like reeking all over his face that he's proud that the boys have actually like gotten some information together. The Real American good. journalism yeah, right there. Yeah, like- he says in America. <laughs> Why did I turn into Paul Hogan? Whatever. <laughs> You went you went from Washington straight to painting the Harbour Bridge in the eighties with a cigarette hanging out of your mouth. Yeah. Um so it's just one of those things. Cigarette hanging out of my mouth, testicle hanging out of my short. <laughs> your tiny, tiny shorts. Um, so they're there, they're in this moment together and I just love the unity of the scene that they are, they're a union and so much of what we've seen so far from Bradley is at a distance. Um, and right now this is where he really actually is formally introduced to the story and he could not be cooler and could not be more sure and deliberate in the way that he, he goes about things. And also there is just something about his confidence that is exuded. And, you know, we both have a great admiration for Lee Schreiber's performance in Spotlight. Love. And, and deep- one of the like real underrated MVPs of Spotlight because deep- it's like Heath Ledger in Brokeback Mountain, not a flashy performance. No, no. And even Robards has got his flashy moments, but right up until this point, what one thing that Shriver's character has is many, many scenes not saying anything, but being in the room or being in view or being, you know, sitting somewhere and you're watching other people interact around him and him observing it. And there is a gravitational pull that I think that he has in that movie, which is just sublime. It's one of those things that's going to get revisited, but I mean, Bradley is like, I don't even know how to describe him. He is like a tornado. He comes in and just, just people are just in shock and awe and it's so wonderful to see. It's so interesting too. It's like a very nice, um, very nice touch. And I like things that feel lived in. Like you can tell yes. that X, Y, Z, like the way they've blocked that scene and the physicality of that scene is based on a lived experience. And maybe that's something, you know, somebody observed. Um, maybe that's like something that Woodward and Bernstein like wrote about extensively in the book. I can't remember because it's like such a fucking throwaway thing. But the physical invasion into their space, like Bradley physically not only invading their space, but just like settling the fuck in and putting them loafers up on the table and like just leaning back against the desk. It is such a newsroom thing. Like when your boss comes along, it's like they'll just fucking karate sweep, like kick off your shit off the desk and then suddenly someone sprawled across your notebooks and you're like moving 10 coffee cups for them to fit. Like they just will be all up in your shit, like both physically and and literally. (laughs) Like a chief of staff just absolutely taking over your desk or somebody reading over your shoulder, which is the fucking something I hate so much. And so that's a really nice touch just having him settle the fuck in at their desk and that everybody else kind of having to part and reshuffle around him you know like everybody has to readjust to make space for him and I also really love the way Woodward and Bernstein are like not licking their lips per se but definitely like half chub just like watching him with anticipation trying to read his every blink facial gesture it's that horrible thing of when you have somebody else read your work and you're like you know what just kill me now just you know (laughs) i'd just rather die actually i'm good i don't want you to find my mistakes you just kill me there's actually been a few times um i've only seen you ever look like uh anxious when i've been reading one of your books 
Oh, yeah. Well, usually I'm not physically ever you're not, you're seeing not, you, you don't see it, read it. Yeah. You just, every now and again, you'll just like drop a line and I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. He's fucking reading the bad Oh, shit. He's reading the bad shit book. Because um, I put little jokes in there that are kind of like us in jokes or like yes. things that only like me, you, your wife find funny in there. Not like it might be fucking five years down the line before you ever read it, but it's like things I'm like, hey. No, and, but there's a few times where I've, you know, had a feature going somewhere and I trust you to read it and I'm just looking at it and there's like you just not saying anything and I just want to kill myself. <laughs> it's the <laughs> worst. Um, it's the worst. And I know how you feel because I feel that way too. So I'm like always trying to like just give you my very like girthy broad back so I can just like block that screen like a fucking fan. Um, what's great though and, and it sort of we're, we're going to go to the minute so you guys can listen along and know exactly what we're talking about. What is great is what, what follows on from this scene I, I think – and, and is contrasted beautifully is exactly what Matt says. Like both these guys are really frothing. And I think even more so it's Bernstein. It's Hoffman there at, at the, right at the culmination of the scene. And he looks happy with himself because Jack Warden's um, character, Harry is like happy with the story and because Woodward, like they've got the facts, but what is so great is literally as this minute closes, there is a second where you get to see Woodward's face and he is so, you know, he hasn't been in the newsroom for, you know, 16, since I was 16. He's been there for nine months and it's his first proper interaction with Bradley. And when he's sitting there. Yeah, but he, to be fair, I don't have a fucking Pulitzer. Yeah, yeah. He, he is, <laughs> his nine months really made a difference. Yeah, like he, he's there going like, oh God, this this is maybe the worst thing. Like this could be the worst thing ever or the best thing ever. So what we're going to do right now, uh, we're going to have a listen. Uh, oh, sorry. We're going to watch the scene together right now. I'm Maria and I. Um, you guys are going to listen along and then we're going to come back and just unpack everything else around it that we haven't seen yet. Because the last time I did the show, it was a plain black screen for 59 seconds. Fuck you very much. Um, do we talk over this minute or do we just shut up while people watch it? Thank we, you, Blake. We don't Still do Blake. it. But what we might do oh, no. is I'm going to cut in the actual clean audio for people to listen to mm. for the minute so that they can imagine and watch along. They they know now if you go to 3100 on the dial, that is the beginning of your 30-second minute. There are no alternate versions or recuts of All the President's Men everywhere you watch it, whether it's on iTunes or on Google Play or a DVD or a Blu-ray. It's the same version. You guys can listen along. But what we might do specially is record a little moment together where we're actually watching it together and talking over it. Okay. As a special treat. Okay. All right, let's do that. As a treat. No, but I want to know about Colton Bobas' job at the White House. Uh, special consultant to the president. All right, look, I got to say it. These notes on the White House librarian, are they accurate? From the White House librarian, the notes, are they accurate? Yes. Yeah, but I want to hear the page. Yeah. Look, I'll have a reporter at the time. Let's take it and show it to how he signs we got to start moving on this now. Come on, now. Mr. Bradley, get the artwork on the right corner piece. Okay, let's have it. Yeah, here you are, Ben. Good, solid piece of American journalism that the New York Times doesn't. Yeah, there's that triangle I was talking about. Also, just the sheer amount of extras. 
It's like such a good flex. So good. And Uh, why would I have given to be the chick just biting her nails (laughs) and wandering in and out? Now, this is what Pacula does better than anyone else. We're about 18 seconds in. The camera move of the walk and keeping at this like hero shot angle that's like looking upward at Bradley, pacing out, putting on his coat. The, the pace and the steadiness of this, people just don't do shit like but this. But also this the physical blocking, like that shit that you mentioned before. It would be actually be really good to um, have, like, not to throw myself over to the bridge, water, whatever, um, to have Alexi talk about this kind of stuff because he's done improv and a lot of like theater and stage shit. Um, and just like how many times you have to rehearse that physical movement. And we're in the final 10 seconds as we're going to talk over it right now. And his feet are up. Half job smile, and the combination is satisfaction. Sort of, what's that face that Woodward's giving right now at the very end of that minute? I would descriptively and colorfully title it the butthole clench. (laughs) Yes, it is absolutely one hundred percent a butthole clench face. Yeah, that's that's what that is. And just one more thing on the blocking, like it. Oh, that's my laptop. Sorry. Just one more thing on the blocking. Not just the rehearsal required and um, the understanding of space and movement that it took for for them to like, you know, weave and duck in between that sort of rabbit's warren of different office cubicles, but the camera movements as well, like the people who are running sound and all that shit through that. Like, look how many people there are. Look how many extras there are. Look how many props and physical obstacles they are. Like, We're we're pausing on like the 13th second. This is exactly the sort of concentric triangles that are happening there. We've got like at least four pylons. There's probably two to three meters between each pylon. We've got four or five pylons We're all the way to the back office. And in this scene, there are two women. There's a woman behind like Harry's back. There's a woman in front of them. There's um, an African-American journo back to back with another white journo there. There's like at least another seven or eight extras all the way down to a glass office right at the end where you can see people in the office. It's absolutely staggering. I wonder if that's a scanner room. Like in my in the very first newsroom that I worked in, the scanner room was glass. It fucking sucked. Um, <laughs> and so we used to put the police codes, like try and stick them up on around the scanner room so like people couldn't look in and see what we were doing because that was kind of the whole point. So it was like the, the glass idea was so that people didn't have to – everyone else in the newsroom didn't have to listen to the scanner going off nonstop yes. um, with like police and emergency channels and whatever. But it was also to make sure that you were like on your shit because it was the most, one of the most important rounds um, in the newsroom. So people would always like stare in and, oh man, I hated it. This is what I want to know is, has there ever really been a movie where extras are doing a better job than in this movie? Like you can, with so many people, they're just all terrific. They all look like they got shit to do and they're not, yeah, but to be honest, the definition of good extras is that you don't notice you them. You don't notice them. So, like, it's a really hard conversation to have. I would argue that anything that's got, like, a shit ton of extras in it and you don't, uh, you're not like, oh, look, it's the kid from Back to the Future 3 <laughs> or whatever, like, making an air jerk off motion. Um, there's so many movies like that where you just have, like, a solid, you know, 200,000 people. No, no, you know what I mean? 200, 200 people. 200. 200 people. As- 200 running a thousand in a thousand circles to, yeah. to continue to be the same like the meg they're just fucking (laughs) copy control c control p um all of china but you know as a professional extra hair flick um 
it was one of the things that was like really interesting to me is because I'm very nosy and snoopy, right? So I played a, a rockabilly zombie on um, this movie called Little Monsters. That uh, friend uh, of One Eight Minute Productions, Abe mm, Forsyth, super director, talented and writer, filmmaker, writer, actor, you name it, um, vinyl connoisseur. But in that, I was like. I just like, I've been a lot of sets for work and, you know, both like writing about films and movies, but also working on films and television shows. Um, So, you know, you you see a set like 10 times. You're like, yeah, okay, if I get sick, I got this figured. But it was really interesting, like watching what other people do. Like I would forget that I was, oh, fuck, I'm supposed to be like, pretending to eat Lepina Nyong'o here because I'd be getting (laughs) distracted by like what my 12-year-old, like, zombie comrade was doing i'd be like oh wow that, look at them man they're go really fucking zom- nailing that go, go zoe go zoe you zombie go comrade zoe. like i would just get caught up in what other people were doing and be like oh shit supposed to drool here and then they'd do cut and you'd forget that you know what you'd ever done and at the end of the day nine times out of ten unless it's back to the future three jerk off kid it doesn't really matter people aren't really looking but good extras good direction like even like your second second uh what even like your assistant directors and stuff and people who are like wrangling fucking extras like cats on a set, that's their job too. So that's a good team A-plus effort. Yeah, A-plus a effort. And, and like you said, we, you know, we're about 13 seconds in where we're just looking at this um, and the Bradley pickup of his jacket happens at that 16 second mark and there's phone calls happening. There's people handing paper over. There's conversations happening. Someone touching other bits of paper. Love you know, those yellow chairs. Like... I mean, I love everything about these scenes. The, the chairs, I love the desks, I love the typewriters, I love the bins, I love the filing cabinets under the desks. And it's about, you know, let's just say roughly 20 to 30 seconds that he makes this big arcing manoeuvre back into the very centre of the newsroom before he picks up the paper, before Harry's like, uh, you know, going, this is a great piece of American journalism. And there's this great sort of moment where you go, how many times did they organize that to be perfect and everyone to be completely in focus and just sort of delightful? And just all the details that you don't see as well. Like I remember watching such a weird analogy, but watching behind the scenes footage of uh, the very first Harry Potter movie where they had to call it Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone because Americans were too dumb to know what philosopher meant. And um, they were talking about (laughs) having like (laughs) engraved all this like graffiti and like, you know, wizard dicks or whatever onto the wood of the tables and stuff in like the Hogwarts dining, the Great Hall. Um, And it's things that you would never see on camera, but it's things that enhance the film and like enhance the experience of the extras. And you can see... From the, through this whole movie, like every scene is just packed full of detail. Like there's newspapers, there's papers, there's pens. This seat, like there's a desk cubicle so fucking far out of the shot. It could basically be craft services. And you can see that it's just like packed full of stuff. Like I just, I really, I really appreciate a team effort. And that's like, that's a good fucking production designer. That's a good set dresser. Like that's somebody being really meticulous and like you said, and it's careful a, it's and thoughtful. A first, it's a first assistant director who's calling the shots on that. They've organized how everyone's going to play it. All right, let's go. Whether it's Pacula himself being meticulous with each of the different extras about what he's expecting from them in this scene. But it's just, yeah, like there's such an alchemy and this beautiful, you know, 
this this is an orchestra of an effort um everyone that is in this newsroom at any given time and like how it's being conducted by all those folks we just mentioned uh, it's just incredible so now, can i just say one more thing of on course, the of pro- production design for yes. one second so um there's this bird that i really like whose work i admire and she mainly works on horror films and stuff like that her name she's a production designer by the name of jen spence uh, jennifer spence if you were looking her up on imdb but um i interviewed her on the set of annabelle comes home shout out conjuring universe and um we were going through this house that had been built on this lot which was apparently haunted um on the Warner brothers lot in la and inside the house so it's supposed to be a recreation of the warren's house like the paranormal investigators whatever um and she had tried to make it as perfect of a like a recreation she could she'd examined family photos and looked at the wallpaper that they Ugh, had and it. tried to buy that wallpaper which obviously wasn't in print anymore <laughs> so she'd used the digital photograph to like print off a version of that and like wow. make that the wallpaper and then she'd done all this other stuff like they have the cupboards in the house and she'd packed them full of not just shit but cans from that era and cans with that branding because her theory was like, you know, if the actors in a few scenes, they had to like Vera Farmiga or whatever, had to open up the cupboards and peek inside and that kind of thing. And if you're opening them up and there's nothing in there, just like she thought from a subliminal perspective, it's not helping the actors perform. It's not helping them like put them in that physical place. And that's what her job is, is to recreate that physical space. And now after like I had the interview with her, I was like, man, like production designer, if I could, go back and start again and like fucking not get into journalism. What a shame. Um, <laughs> what a shame. <laughs> what a shame. <laughs> if I could do anything and grew up in a family that understood, you know, what pop culture was and movies and stuff like that and encourage you to be things outside of like a cop or an athlete or a fucking personal trainer <laughs> or shit like that um, and got into filmmaking, production design would always be something that I would absolutely just love to like hard reset and start my life over again and, be passionate about because it's something is like very thoughtful job, but you have to work in a team. Oh, deeply. Like it's such, it's got the same obsessive research base that we were just louding as yep. far as the podcast. Lots that of research, but also getting to combine a lot of like artistic and creative elements and putting like work where you don't see it. Does that make sense? Yes. Like the work, if it's done well, you don't notice it or you, you shouldn't you notice, notice it. it. You'll see it a lot though. You Except will see it. for perverts like us who are like, <laughs> Oh, look at every frame. Um, but that kind of thing is like such a talent and such a gift. And after I did that interview with her, I feel like I've looked at movies different ever since. Yes. Because I just think like, who's that person who's like stacking that desk full of stuff? And are they stacking it with memos that are accurate to that day? And like even um, there was, uh, did you watch, oh, you, well, I don't know. Maybe you didn't watch the show. The Sullivans. It was like an Australian. Yeah. yeah okay. So it's like a set during World War Two, but it sort of came out. Not World War Two. It's like seventies and eighties. It yes. was an Australian, um, like soap opera. I, I don't know if I could say it, I watched it as much as it was on. In it my was house. on all the time. Yes. It's just like a seminal Australian show from this company called Crawford Productions, which was like one of the first big Australian production houses. And when Australian Australia first got like television that was being broadcast, which was nineteen fifty six, so so fucking late. Australia's like, oh, do we make it like public or do we make it <laughs> private? Oh, I don't know. Let's just wait a decade and figure it out. Um, when they first started airing, they had no local content, right? So it was all like things in syndication from the US. So Crawford Productions, one of the first few companies, and that was their job was to try and 
create local shows and local content and a lot of the stuff they did was all very like police procedural um and the Sullivans was this really ambitious show it was like a period drama set during World War II and I was interviewing uh Deb Cox who is she's um the writer and executive producer of like Miss Fisher movie and Miss Fisher TV series very fascinating woman but that was like her first gig as like a sort of like production runner <laughs> yes and she was saying that they had um Crawford Productions had employed all these researchers on the Sullivans to research what was happening specifically during that day of the war in 1930 whatever or 1940 whatever and they used those specific events to like inform the plot elements but yes. to also put things in the background that were relevant to that and I just like I always have such a wide on for that kind of detail or like somebody caring about the unseen or the element that a lot of people are not going to get, but that 10% of people who get it really appreciate it and sort of salivate over it. The two people that we're going to mention because we've been talking around them for this last little bit is George Jenkins um, was the production designer on All the President's Minutes. George Jenkins was born in 1908 and passed away in 2007. So was nine, 99 years old. Some so he of, was a vampire is what you said. <laughs> pretty much. Some, some, My God, I'm never going to complain about living through a shitty time again. So, in 1908, you've seen some shit. So he, he got a few wars. He, he got a depression in there. Civil was, rights movement. His, his first movie as a production designer was in 1952 it was called the san francisco story in his well, that's pretty good that's quite late he came into the biz late in his he resume came in towards the end of the Hayes code which is the fun time to come in because they're like gays exist again <laughs> oh my god have you seen a person of color welcome uh welcome sex um uh, <laughs> parallax view night moves which i love oh my god all the president's men china syndrome the postman always rings twice sophie's choice um, and presumed innocent. So he worked a lot with Alan Pakula because that's, you know, a stack of his movies. The set decorator was a guy also by the name of George, George Gaines, 1933 to 1986. So a shorter life. Really, really the apex mountain for dudes named George. Really, 100% as far as in set decoration. But listen to this sec set decorator's. Resume. I will because I have no choice. You have no choice. Shampoo. All the President's Men, Columbo, American Gigolo, Cheers, Breathless, The Big Chill, The Cotton Club. He's worked with Coppola. He's worked with Schrader. He's worked with, uh, like, uh, Pacula. He's worked with uh, Hal Ashby. Like, oh, my God. Like, And bo both these guys, uh, um, the, the first that we spoke about, um, George Jenkins, who grew to the ripe old age of 99, was a – an Oscar winner and George Gaines was the two time Oscar winner for three nominations. So absolutely incredible. And yeah, like it's absolutely no surprise. Do you reckon Pacula was like into Halloween? Do you reckon his thing every year for Halloween was he went as Count Pacula? <laughs> oh God. Do you reckon? He doesn't strike me as much of a Halloween guy. <laughs> that wouldn't make it to a Josie in the podcast episode, but it's going to stay. It would bitch. Stay. Uh, I write him. It's it's really staying. Um, no, and so can George, somebody so do the research and find out for me, please? George Jenkins won Best Art Direction Set Direction Oscar, uh, for All the President's Men. Deserved, hundred percent deserved. And um, George Gaines, who won two Oscars, was also won in that Best Art Direction Set Direction. Um, he shared it because they they shared it at the time, and he also won for Having Can Wait as well. So uh, and nominated for Shampoo, nominated for Cotton Club, amazing. Mm. Shampoo, um, yeah, sick. Heaven can wait. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, let's uh, 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 not shit on the man's career. Um, <laughs> I'm not shitting on the man's career. I'm shitting on the movie Heaven Can Wait. Would you call if Alan Pacula is your friend? You'd say Count Pacula. That would that's Pacula. the count. Oh my god, are you fucking kidding me? What I wouldn't give <laughs> to be born with any kind of name that rhymes with Dracula. Like if I Bernstein, I was like. Frankenstein? Like, come on. <laughs> I'm just like, any name. I'd be like, okay, how can I relate this to a classic universal monster? Now, we we get to this moment. It's right towards the end. He pulls out a chair. As you talked about, I really loved you describing the sort of physical flex of the newsroom when you've got one of those powerhouse editors or something coming over to your desk. It was, it, to be honest, it's usually always a chief of staff. Like you really got to be working on some hate, some quality American journalism for the editor to come over and get involved in your shit, especially on a paper like this where it's a lot. Well, I mean, they consider themselves small, small, they consider themselves small fry compared to, you know, New York and shit, but it's, it's a daily they were, they were, metro they, newspaper. They were growing out of a metro newspaper into a national newspaper right as this story is Right, set. but it's also like the, the key thing there is daily. Like you have to generate X amount of yeah. stories in a, in a time when newspapers were not brochures like they are now. Like you had an actual shit ton of pages that you had to fill every day. It's a lot of centimetres on a broadsheet. And so the editors are usually always really busy and they have bigger concerns. So if an editor is coming over and invading your space at your desk, it's either – it's usually a bad sign, to be perfectly honest. Um, it would be the chief of staff, who are you, which is Jack Warden. That's what is that's what he is. Yeah, this? Harry Rosenfeld. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna quickly Google whether his character is Jack Warden, isn't it? No, no, no. The, the actor is Jack Warden. The character is Harry Rosenfeld. So I'll just check if he's the chief of staff. But I thought he was the Metro editor. Let's have a look. But that's what a chief of staff, like the Metro editor, is like. You're the boss of that section. Yes. Well, while we've been vamping because we're podcast experts, he was. Um, he was uh, in charge of local news at yeah. the Washington Post. So, yeah, the Metro editor, essentially. Um, so, usually, like, that's the person. Like, that's accurate at the start when, you know, they're finishing up the story and he's, like, over their shoulders, like, heavy breathing and very satisfied with it and, like, asking them questions, critiquing them the whole way through, fact-checking, source-checking, all that kind of stuff. So then when Bradley comes over, it's, like, that's that's how you know it's, like, a BDE story or BCE story, that big clear energy. You know, it's something that's either going to be, if not on the front page, like on page three. Page three is the other sweet spot because when you turn the paper, page three is like, bam, the next one. And for the newspaper that I started my career at, page three was always like, tits or an animal. <laughs> like that's what you wanted on page three was because that was, you wanted like a big image. So it was like tits or like an animal being cute and shit. But that was also the place where if there was like a big story that might have a pointer from the front page, it would yeah. rest on rest those. On yeah. On those odd number pages, three, five, seven, nine. Once you get past nine, it's obviously like. Stick it inside someplace is exactly what Bradley says about this story. Yeah. Very sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Hot. So the, this moment I love now has a little bit of a different meaning and he just sort of plonks it up and sits there and it's just, there is a, you talk about butthole clenching expressions in the final second of the scene. If you have a look at the 50 second, if you could just get to the 50 second, um, the, the 50 second second of this scene, there is this wonderful, like, holy crap face that, that Redford is doing. There is fear in the eyes of Dustin Hoffman's Bernstein. And, you know, although Jack Warden is as cool as a cucumber, as Harry Rosenfeld, he is standing in anticipation, knowing Bradley's style, looking for all those visual cues. It's like a poker game. This like little frame is like a poker game and he's literally holding all the cards. 
There was this editor that uh, my the very first editor I ever worked under. His name was Bob Gordon, um, and he have to do the impression of it. Tiger, <laughs> oh Tiger's a cracking yarn. Get out there, Tiger. <laughs> That's how he was, and he looked like the, the conductor from um, Thomas the Tank Engine. He was like a big burly guy. Uh, the fat controller. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. His tie was like always skewed, but he had like a big thick mustache, and he just like always knew everyone's shit. Like he always played it kind of cool. Not cool and maybe isn't the right word, but he was always just like, I'm a sort of like jovial, friendly guy. And then occasionally you'd hear like a terrifying yell and you'd be like, oh, fuck, tiger. <laughs> but he knew everybody's business. He knew things that were happening before they happened. Like there are sources and then there's just like having a six or seven cents with this kind of stuff. But when he would come to your desk, like the way – Bradley's like leaning back and you know this is accurate from the documentary the newspaper man like you see all the footage of Bradley and like all the pictures of him and he's like fucking got his legs up like in the splits and shit <laughs> he's like downward dogging over people's <laughs> desk like he's a very like agile mobile guy like you know fucking flexing all over the newsroom and Bob Gordon was not like that at all he would just kind of like occupy space like he would just like sort of waddle into it and just be there physically like super fucking intimidating sort of like just <laughs> growling and rumbling and the chief of staff would always be sort of like hovering at their shoulder not in a way that warden's doing right now because i feel like i feel like he's monitoring like he's his movements are shadowing what bradley's doing and bradley's like cool as a cucumber relaxed feet up on the desk loafers all that shit and warden's trying to be like yeah i'm cool and relaxed as well but on the flip, I feel like if Bradley was more like up in their space, Warden would be at his, you know, left shoulder or right shoulder, just sort of like hovering, ready yeah. to go. He's still standing there. He's still standing over. He's trying to. He he's looks trying to pounce. He's ready. He's poised and pounced. Ready to pounce. Toy, like a toyga. Those final eight seconds is just him reading the story, and we get some great faces. The, the some great hair, please. Great hair, great Hoffman face. And then finally closes as it opens on your butt clenching face. It's a really ripping minute, and the and the relationships and everything that is happening in this scene is just so wonderful. And I just love again, we talked about the production design, but just random pictures that are up in the newsroom. Like they took photos, they tried to emulate it. It's only they're so lucky, you know. Unlike something like a Zodiac, which they're recreating the San Francisco Chronicle newsroom, you know, decades later. Mm the existing Washington Post newsroom looks the same as this. And this is in Burbank and that's in Washington and they can at least yeah. go back and go and, you know, snap all those things to make it really, really sing and feel really real and authentic. But the other nice detail that you can see there in the background, and again, this is like speaks to the great work of George and George, um, production designer and set designers, but also the, the advantage you have in the newsroom that you're trying to recreate existing physically is a thing that you can just like, Oh, fucking, can you, can you just send like, can you just send a runner over there real quick and snap <laughs> a few fucking pictures and shit? Um, kind of like what they do in the post, just like dick yeah. over there and like <laughs> see what so-and-so is working on and whatever you say, don't tell them who you are. But the benefit of that is a lot of like desks in a newsroom will be filled with like, okay, maybe family photos or like maybe like one or two personal things. But oftentimes what they get occupied with are things that are 
A, useful for the job and B, things that are funny to you and only you and the other people in the newsroom, whether it's a story with like a really dumb headline or something that runs through with a typo (laughs) or like a random like pick from a vox pop or something that's just amusing. And that's the stuff that ends up populating your desk and your cubicle, whether that's like emergency codes or whatever, or like a contact sheet or people that you would call through on rounds or any of that kind of stuff. But then also things that are like funny and chuckling and would amuse you. We had this thing when I worked at the Daily Telegraph um, in Sydney. We, there was, it was for the Easter show. They'd take pictures of all these kids and there was this kid called Henry Pfaffen who was like <laughs> the most terrifying child you'd ever seen and he was holding this bunny like he was about to bite it off. Um, and he would have been like one or something like that and I'm not even sure if I remember his name right but I remember all of us just becoming obsessed with this kid <laughs> that we didn't know and then just like all the sports journos, like all the late night boys, all the backbench, everyone. We we all had pictures of like Henry Pfaffen like <laughs> up on our desk for like a year and a half and it made no sense. And then somebody, one of the subs ended up making little badges oh, of Henry Pfaffen, which I actually have um, here. And we're recording this in Blake's house. I have one of those badges here and Blake's daughter went up to the badge the other day and she goes, is that Kirtan? Which is Blake's son because <laughs> she thought it was him. But it's just one of those things like very specific little in jokes. Nobody else is going to get it. They're not things that visually look great, yeah. but they're authentic and it's lived in and it's that truth of that scenario and that setting in those people. And it makes so much of a difference, especially if you're doing a minute-by-minute podcast and you need a lot of shit to talk about <laughs> for two hours and 15 minutes. Like, <laughs> Well, I think part of my experience as a podcasting host and producer is knowing when to go out. And I don't think there's anything we're going to say that's going to be better than that. Maria Lewis, you're the best. Thank you so much for being a part of the Around. show. Um, thanks so much for having me. It's so nice to be back and to have something to look at this well, minute. Next time, I can't promise you the same. Fuck, it's going to be the, it'll be the end credits and <laughs> end shit. Credits. This was filmed in the state of Los Angeles. <laughs> the, real, the real dregs of the final bit of the credits right. is what you'll get. Those last nine episodes of the <laughs> nine minute credits are going to be rough for you. It's going to really test your creative juices. I'm staying out of the credits. We're not going to the credits. One credit minute. No. Do it, you coward. One cred minute. That was my incredible guest, Maria Lewis. If you want to check out Maria's stuff, you can find her at at MovieMaz on Twitter or MariaLewis.com.au. Or if you're just following along all the President's Minutes and you're following along our playlist on Spotify or you've got us somehow organized in a special playlist on some other podcast app, you can go to the same One Heat Minute Productions feed and find our awesome collaboration Josie and the podcasts we are halfway through right now as you are listening to this one so I plenty of time to dive back into those episodes and uh, you can jump off into one of the most thoroughly researched Woodward and Bernstein projects of all time this has been another One Heat Minute production. Thank you so much for listening along. We have an amazing array of shows. One Heat Minute obviously, the last 12 minutes of the Mohicans, Increment Vice Josie and the Podcats, all the President's Minutes which you're listening to today, and our daily podcast, Con 10 Gen, which is a tight 10, talking to a whole stack of folks in isolation, in quarantine, sort of accounting for in this community everything that's going down. Listen along to that daily. We're going to have great shows coming up for you, some unannounced stuff which we are going to announce to tease for the future. But if you want to support us, we do have a Patreon, and you can find links to that on oneheatminute.com. 
If you want to go to our site, oneheatminute.com or incrementvice.com, you can find out more about the shows. And if you want to go to graffitiwithpunctuation.com, you can read about Contention and our upcoming six-part limited series, Josie and the Podcasts. Until next time, thank you so much. Subscribe, rate, review, share. Thanks so much for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.